global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. Technology driving gains in U.S. equities, natural gas, crude lifting commodities. Natural gas up 2.5% to 294 per million BTUs. West Texas Intermediate Crude up 7 tenths of 1%, up 29 cents a barrel. 44.53 on WTI. Brent up 7 tenths of 1% to 4703. Gold higher by 370 the ounce to 12.13, up 3 tenths of 1%. The 10 year up 4.30 seconds with a yield of 2.37%. SP 500 index up 5 now to 24.31, up 2 tenths of 1%. The Dow up 24, up 1 tenth of 1%. NASDAQ up 33, a gain of 6 tenths of 1%. I'm Charlie Pellet, and that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. All right, Charlie, thank you so much. You are listening to Bloomberg Markets right here on Bloomberg Radio. No sale. It is no sale. All of you cats can too, while I make all the loot. All right, everybody. Shares of Abercrombie and Fitch out of fashion with investors today. Stock plunging after takeover talks tanked. Let's get a little bit more on the news and what's next for the retailer. Lindsay Rupp, specialty retail reporter right here at Bloomberg News in our Bloomberg 1130 studio in New York, along with our Poonam Goyle, senior U.S. retail analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence from our Princeton offices. Poonam, let me kick it off with you. Um, Abercrombie and Fitch, what's the latest kind of negative news? So this deal, the possibility of a takeover just coming undone? Yeah, I mean, basically, they're not interested, it seems like. It seems that they think they can turn the business around at Abercrombie, which has been struggling for quite some time with double-digit same-seer sales declines. So Abercrombie not interested? That's what they're saying, yes. They're not interested. Who, who you know, was possibly there as a play, we don't know. Um, but it seems that they want to try to turn things around. Lindsay, let me bring you in. Abercrombie and Fitch down 19% this year. I don't know what you've heard about in the industry. Was there somebody who wanted to work with them? Yeah, there were rumors that some of their rivals might want to consider a merger. Maybe American Eagle would buy them. American Eagle's doing pretty well. Or maybe Express would try for a merger of equals. Maybe private equity would buy them. But, you know, uh, they're pretty... They're they're in a tough place right now, and and if you're uh, if you're a teen apparel retailer, you're probably not looking to add more stores to your fleet and thinking about all the costs it would take to actually achieve some of the synergies that a combination would bring about. It's a pretty hefty uh, ticket price. I have to say, having a teenager in my home now, uh, they are about as fickle as can be in terms of what they like. <laughs> and one you know one moment it's like I want something that nobody else has, and then all of a sudden I want to be you know preppy. Uh, you know, Poonam, it's not easy playing in the teen space. No, not at all. And you said it just right. You know, they're fickle. They want to shop everywhere and anywhere, and there is no loyalty there. So, you know, in the past, maybe 10, 15 years ago, when you shopped a retailer, 90% of your wardrobe was probably from there. Today, I would say that maybe 10% of your wardrobe is from one retailer. Yeah, that's a good point. Next. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, maybe there's one hot item, like maybe there's one hot Nike shoe that everybody has, but there isn't really one hot brand anymore. Um, so I think that there are some things that are sort of status symbols, but there isn't one look like there used to be. I mean, that's really what brought Abercrombie to prominence was that one preppy look. It was a uniform. Nobody wants to wear a uniform anymore. I feel like it was such that collegiate look, that prep, you know, kind of prep look. All, everybody looked like, you know, all American and, you know, whether it was kind of a thing also that Ralph 
Ralph Lauren or um, not Michael Kors, but who am I thinking of? Tommy Hilfiger. Like they all had that kind of look, Lindsay. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that look has kind of faded from prominence. Or you you get that look from someone like a Vineyard Vines or a smaller sort of more individualistic retailer. Hey, Poonam, I mean, do we need, I mean, is there a good chance that Abercrombie & Fitch, which is a name that's been around for a long time, is there any kind of value to that brand or could it easily just go away? I mean, there is still value to it. I'd say there's more value to the namesake banner. I believe that's what you're referencing in right. internationally. Mm-hmm. So I think internationally, the brand still carries some relevance. In the U.S., I mean, the brand looks a little better, I must say. But the question is, how many people acknowledge that it looks better and how many people are advocating the brand? Because, as you said, the teen shopper is fickle. So for them to go back to Abercrombie, that image that it carried from decades has to go away. And the new image that they're trying to bring out has to resonate and has to be advocated by their peers. So okay. that's the biggest challenge. I'm looking at revenues just from 2017, $2.1 billion in the U.S., about $768 million in, the, in Europe, and then other international, about 434 But European growth, average three-year, down 12%. U.S. down 7%. Again, this is over a three-year period. International, though, up 8.4%. I mean, is there enough, Lindsay, that they could just focus on international? I think international is a big part of their business, but the U.S. is still, obviously, their biggest market, and I think that they have recognized that they really need to figure out that consumer because eventually that international market could fade too, right? Like the U.S. consumer is sort of that uh, first bellwether, and then eventually where they go, international will follow. So I think the namesake brand, Abercrombie, is really trying to play up its heritage. You know, we're from 1892. We have this authenticity. We used to be a safari brand. Uh, they're really trying to, you know, they've changed their logo back. They're they're bringing back scents. Um, so I think they're really trying everything they can while still maintaining an international presence. But I don't think that in their current structure, international is enough to, to save them. I mean, Poonam, it all speaks to, you know, we've had these conversations, Lindsay and I have had these conversations, Corey too, uh, just Poonam, you know, what's going on bigger, broader in terms of retail? You know, the bigger story is that we just need fewer stores here in the U.S. I mean, we're mm-hmm. too overstored. So until we see more rationalization, I think there's going to be challenges in retail. And it's not as simple as maybe, you you know, one store has the right fleet size, but the other may be having 40%, 50% off sales day in, day out, which pressures the retailer that may not be overstored. So it, it's cyclical to a certain extent and secular because you need stores to be shut and you need fleet rationalization for retail to get back on track. But not all retail will live this um, change because the consumer has changed quite dramatically and the shift to digital is real. Yeah, I mean, we've already seen more apparel retailer bankruptcies Mm -hmm. in this year so far uh, since 2009. Well, it's interesting, too. Here's a day where we're going to have Amazon Prime, right, kicking off this evening. I saw Amazon, you know, kind of invading into Best Buy space in terms of kind of service and stuff. So, you know, you have someone like Amazon, um, you know, Lindsay, that just keeps kind of pushing further and further into the retail space. Uh, Yeah, and they've announced their Amazon wardrobe product for Prime subscribers where they'll just send you a bunch of clothes. You try on what you want. You keep what you want. You send the rest back. I'm counting on the two of you to try it out and see how it is. (laughs) Yeah, bring us back in a little. Um, Poonam, what are you watching out for uh, next in the ANF story? You know, I think think it's really going to be the store closings. I think they still need to close a lot of stores. And until they do some more store rationalization, it'll be a harder battle for them on the Abercrombie, uh, the namesake side. Lindsay, what are you watching out for? I want to see what they do with Hollister. It's mm. doing really well among the younger teen. Okay, so there is some upside there. Yeah. All right, we got to run. Hey, guys, thank you so much. Thank Lindsay you. Ruff, 
Speaking all things retail, specialty retail reporter at Bloomberg News, along with Poonam Goyal, our senior U.S. retail analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence. She in our Princeton offices, Lindsay in our Bloomberg 1130 studio. And F those shares taking a hit. This is Bloomberg Radio. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1061, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Markets. Yes, indeed, everybody, Bloomberg Markets. Carol Masser in our Bloomberg 1130 studio on this Monday. Coming up, great story by our Janet Lauren, higher education reporter, uh, and how some shares of Coca-Cola have been uh, helping out a university. We'll get to that in just a moment. Back to, though, your top business stories and trading. Here is Charlie Pellet. Hi, thank you very much, Carol Nasser. It is an up Monday here for the Dow, the S&P, and NASDAQ. And now the numbers at the close of floor trading on the NYMEX, brought to you by USCF Invest in what's real. Visit uscfinvestments.com. That's uscfinvestments.com. West Texas Intermediate Crude now at 44.38 a barrel, up three tenths of one percent, higher today by 15 cents. Technology shares driving gains in U.S. equities. The S&P 500 index up four at 24.29, up two tenths of one percent. Nasdaq higher by 29 points at 61.82. That is a gain of five tenths of one percent. Dow Industrials up 18, up one-tenth of one percent. The 10-year up 4.30 seconds with a yield of 2.37%. Gold trading higher. A gold today up 3.30 the ounce to 12.13, up three-tenths of one percent. And crude oil up three-tenths of one percent to 12, uh, to uh, 44.39 a barrel. West Texas Intermediate crude up 16 cents. Fed Chair Janet Yellen heads to Capitol Hill on Wednesday for two days of testimony about the economy. Bruce Bettles is Chief Investment Strategist at Robert W. Baird. The labor report on, on last week suggests that labor conditions are tightening again. And the Fed, I think, is focusing on two things. One, the labor markets, and two, inflation. But not inflation in the economy, inflation in the stock market. I think a, several Fed governors have pointed to um Prices of equities being high, and I think yeah. they're, they're focusing on those two things. And he was interviewed this morning on Bloomberg Surveillance. Recapping S&P up 4 to 24.29, a gain of two-tenths of 1%. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. All right, Charlie, thank you very much. You are listening to Bloomberg Markets, and this is Bloomberg. And some particular investors are definitely smiling. Uh, let's talk about this story. Great story by our Janet Lauren, Bloomberg News higher education reporter. Um, tell us what's going on. So here are a handful of colleges in the South who are the recipients of some Coke stock. And the reason why they have this stock is because a woman named Letty Pate Evans um, left it to them in the 1950s. Her husband was the original Coca-Cola bottler, and he died very young, and she took over the company. And eventually uh, she sold some of that back to Coke, um, and she had 7 million shares of Coca-Cola in the 50s. Today that's worth about $3 billion. Not too shabby. And uh, <laughs> she designated uh, you know, about a dozen beneficiaries, including a half a dozen colleges in Georgia and in Virginia. 
And uh, the colleges don't own this stock outright. It's in a trust for them, which means they can't sell it. The, the foundation that controls um, uh, the Letty Pate Evan Foundations controls the shares. And every year, these colleges get dividends from the stock. And uh, the value of the stock is uh, part of their endowment. Interesting. But they don't actually get the shares. How often do you see that kind of relationship? Um, you, we've seen that, you know, in, in some schools that, um, the colleges are either given or they buy shares of a company. For example, um, Wesleyan had some shares of my weekly reader, um, uh, you know, the, the old mm-hmm. full-time magazine, right. which they eventually sold to Xerox and they had a lot of Xerox shares and, and they've since sold that. Um, McAllister, McAllister College in, um, Minnesota, I think that's where it is, um, once held about 10 million shares of Reader's Digest stock, and that was given to them um, because the founder of Reader's Digest had a connection to the college, um, and they couldn't sell it. Um, there were some strings attached. They couldn't sell it right away, and it performed poorly. So, you know, they always lament that they couldn't sell it at a high. Um, and also, Mueller Pasta, an old company, um, was once owned by NYU Law School. I actually remember Mueller Pasta. <laughs> <laughs> the boxes. Hey, but what's interesting is here's a, you know, how many times do you come on and you talk about university endowments or we have folks who are overseeing college and university endowments and they're looking for yield. They're looking and, and they've moved into more alternative assets, whether it's real estate or venture capital. And this is just plain old stocks. Yep. Plain old U.S. equities. And the reason why I sort of stumbled upon this story is we collect the returns for our endowment function, E-N-D-O, go on the Bloomberg terminal. And we saw that there were some schools that had negative returns for the fiscal years. Everybody did. Yet the value of their total endowment fund rose, which didn't make intuitive sense. So I started calling some schools and saying, what's going on here? And as it turned out, well, there's this one, you know, trust that we don't control. It's made up of one U.S. equity and that U.S. equity, you know, returned almost 16% last year. Like, I feel like there's a lesson to be learned here, perhaps. Well, they just held it and held it for, for decades. And, you know, the laws of compounding interest. Right. Um, and, you know, $7 million has gone to almost $3 billion. But it's interesting. So it's in that foundation, right? And you said that they never, they don't own the shares. The schools don't own the shares and the foundation has a board. And um, th- this past year, they sold a little bit of it to try to make a little diversification. It's, you know, the majority of this foundation is Coke stock. But um, the, the folks who run it say it's performed so well over the long term um, that, you know, wh- why why sell it? You know, you, you and I caught up earlier and I said, uh, when you told me you were going to come on and do this story, and I think about... Particularly Coca-Cola shares. Uh, there have been stories over, you know, the last couple of decades just that talk about the Coke millionaires, that people who, you know, bought early on and there's cities around the country where there was, you know, one investment manager who said buy this stock in the 50s or whatever it was and they held on to it and created you know, all of these people who are very, very wealthy today with a, with a minimum investment. Yeah, immense long-term wealth. And some of these colleges, um, you know, this stock makes up a, a big chunk of their endowment. Barry College outside of Rome, 60% of their endowment value is tied to Coke, their Coke shares. You know, billion-dollar endowment. You wonder, how did Barry College outside of Rome, Georgia, get this money? And right. here's the answer. And even Georgia Tech, 25% of its endowment is tied to this Coke stock. And the big Georgia Tech 
administration building. You know, I think it has a big G on the top of it. Right. You, you don't know the real name of it, but it's named after this this very pioneering businesswoman, Letty Paid Evans. It's really very cool, and it, and it does make me wonder with everybody with their endowment strategies. You know, like we said that they're looking for you know different alternatives or alternative investments that. You just come back to stocks, whether they'll rethink that strategy. Right. Well, but it could, you know, in a couple of years, it may not work as well. Right. Um, if people drink less soda around the world. Right. And Coke certainly has diversified into water and other, you know, other types of um, of beverages. Right. Um, but still worldwide, it's a very powerful brand and, and, the, and the equity produces a lot of dividends. Really great story um, and fun to see the, this strategy playing out, uh, not just at one college, but a few colleges. Um, Janet, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Janet Lauren, she is our higher education reporter here at Bloomberg News. Joining us in our Bloomberg 1130 studio in New York. You can check out more of Janet's stories. Just go to Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg. Once again, a check on your latest world of national news headlines. We've got Nathan Hager in our Bloomberg 991 newsroom in Washington. Hi, Nate. Hi, Carol. President Trump's eldest son, Donald Trump Jr., says he's happy to work with the Senate Intelligence Committee to pass on what he knows. He tweeted that moments ago after Republican Senator Susan Collins called on the younger Trump to testify about his meeting last year with a Russian lawyer who claimed to have potentially damaging information about Hillary Clinton. Bloomberg White House reporter Shannon Pettypiece says that meeting could run afoul of a campaign finance law against accepting donations from foreign nationals. There's precedent that information, oppo research, could be considered of as a thing of value so that it would be inappropriate for a campaign to be accepting opposition research from a foreign national. The watchdog group Common Cause has filed a complaint with the Justice Department and the Federal Election Commission under that law. The F-35 fighter jet is already the most expensive weapons program in U.S. history. It's about to get even more expensive. A draft document obtained by Bloomberg puts the cost of Lockheed Martin's next-generation fighter jet at $406.5 billion. It's a 7% increase from its current price tag of $379 billion. That updated figure could be presented to Congress as soon as today. The U.S.-led coalition is congratulating Iraqi forces for retaking Mosul from Islamic State. U.S. Central Command says there are still areas of the old city that need to be cleared of explosives and fighters. But in a statement, the military says the Iraqis have Mosul firmly under their control. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. In Washington, I'm Nathan Hager, and this is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.